The Leia Hyopan Show. BitMEX, the OG crypto derivatives platform and the best place to buy your Bitcoin. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Leia Hyopan Show. Today we are talking how long does the US dollar have left? And obviously we're talking about more controversial things. So before I bring on my incredible guest today, I do want to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by BitMEX. So BitMEX is the OG crypto derivatives exchange and now has a spot exchange for you to buy and sell your crypto. Especially during a bear market like we are in, you really need a name that you can trust. BitMEX sets a standard in reliability, performance, and transparency, and has proven itself through multiple, multiple cycles and has stood the test of time. In this market, that is what you need. So right now, BitMEX is actually celebrating um, the launch of BitMEX Spot with $1 million in USD prizes to give away. All you need to do to enter is trade the equivalent of $250. So you could grab some Bitcoin during the crash um, and start stacking some more sats. You can actually enter up to 25 times and one lucky winner will even receive $500,000 in Bitcoin. So if you do want to get involved, I'm going to leave the link for you in the description on YouTube. So if you are watching on YouTube, make sure to check BitMEX out over there. Now, before we start this conversation, I do want to let you know um, that please do hit the subscribe button, hit the like button so you never miss a video. And also so you can support the channel because we have a lot of very important conversations, which um, you're sort of not allowed to have these days. Um, so let's do this. All right. Joining me on the show today is the founder, CEO and CIO of Morgan Creek Capital management. It is Mark Yasko. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Leah. Great to see you. And uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, chat to you. We always have an incredible conversation, so much information um, to learn from you. So I want to just kick this off, delve straight into this. Um, there's a lot of awful uh, doomsday headlines in the news right now, and I want to get your take. Are we in a recession? And if we are, how do we know? Who announces this? How is it measured? Yeah. So look, I mean, Ms. Lagarde, you know, as, as brilliant as she is, declared this morning that definitely no recession and, uh, you know, not this year or next year, which means we're clearly in a recession. You know, it's the old Shakespeare quote, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. So, um, look, we're probably in a recession. It's probably not a, a terrible, horrible recession is probably like the 2001 recession. In fact, so much of right now looks like 2001. You know, we had the tech wreck, we had the correction, we had the over leverage start to decrease. We had the Fed back away from the stimulus they had provided going into Y2K. And it, and it set the stage for what, what was a, a shallow recession. First quarter was negative. Second quarter was positive. Third quarter exacerbated by 9-11, really negative. And then for the whole year, uh, you know, GDP was 1%, which you say, well, that's not a recession. Well, no, it is. And, and to your question, it's decided not by having two quarters in a row of negative GDP, right? It's decided by a group called NBER. And they decide, National Bureau of Economic Research, they decide what is a recession. There are four big indicators they look at. They have to do with employment and they have to do with uh, industrial production. And, and, um, so they look at these, these indicators and they all manifest themselves in the GDP print. So ultimately, look, we're going to have a second negative GDP print in the U S Europe is, is similar. That's a recession. And we can say it's not a very bad recession, right? It's not an 81, 83 recession. Maybe it's not as bad as the, the 93, 94 recession. I mean, I'm sorry, the 91 recession, you know, maybe it's not as bad as as the 1930s, although we, we can talk more about that later, where it could become like that if the Fed keeps making policy mistakes. So that's a long way of saying we're probably in a recession. It's probably not like this calamitous recession. I was you know, before we got on on live, I was talking about, you know, I just spent 10 days in the UK, uh, your uh, old stomping grounds and and, you know, I took my son on his first international trip and look, London, it was okay. It wasn't really crowded. It wasn't really bustling. It was fine. And um, Edinburgh, little more, right? Maybe a little more touristy destination. It was a little, little busier. Um, but Dublin was hopping. 
Dublin was mm. was hopping and, and that looked like a normal tour season. So now the other thing that's funny is international places are going to start banning me and my family from from going. So uh, the last international trip my son took was we went to Paris for Paris blockchain right before lockdowns. And literally that was the day Notre, Notre Dame caught on fire. And so we show up in London and Bojo gets kicked out. And uh, it's like, wait a second, you know, the, the, the use goes are causing havoc all around the world. <laughs> but, uh, I see. I see. Yeah. Spreading some bad luck somewhere. But I guess it depends. You know, if Bojo's out, that's good luck for some, in my opinion. But anyway. Um, if you're you... a fan or not, right? If, if you're not a fan, then, you know, it's not, not bad luck at all. Exactly. I don't really think he's uh, the conservative that they... Um, you know, sort of wanted overall seems a bit of a yeah. Look, liberal I have this listing. argument, Leah, that there is no left or right. There's no liberal conservative. There's in and out. And when you're out, you do or say whatever it takes to get in. And when you're in, you mm. do or say whatever it takes to stay in. So you know, Ronald Reagan, lifelong Democrat, president is Republican. Mitt Romney, flip flop back and forth multiple times. Donald Trump, lifelong Democrat, runs as Republican. Now he's like way alt-right. Bojo, more left-leaning his whole life and then suddenly is a conservative because that'll get me elected. So people do or say whatever it takes to, to get in power. Power is, is what they all discuss. Here's the weird thing. And I wasn't in Tokyo, so I'm, I'm not responsible for you know, anything related to the Abe-san assassination, which is so tragic and God rest his soul. I mean, amazing human being. Um, and now Draghi is it, so, so something's going on and it's mm -hmm. probably bigger than we're going to get to on, on the show today, but it's, it's big. And, you know, there are a couple others that need to clear out, you know, you could get rid of Trudeau and Macron yeah. and, and, and a few others, but then who's going to get installed, right? And who's doing the installation? And you know, I have this the this thesis on on the U.S. Right when when W was proximate to the Cheney presidency. No, no, he was the president. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dick Cheney was the president, and then W did a fine job. And I actually love W now. I think he's a great statesman. He's an artist and kind of a cool guy. Didn't really like him as president, but Cheney, I knew who to be afraid of. Mm. The problem is now. I don't know who to be afraid of because it ain't the guy who's sitting in the chair and it ain't the gal behind him. So it's somebody else. And that worries me. And so is that somebody else now pushing Bojo out and pushing Draghi out and, and setting the stage for something that I don't really, and here's a weird thing and I don't want to freak people out, but just the other day, there was a commercial on New York television explaining what people should do if there's nuclear fallout. Mm. What? You're running an ad, like a television ad, telling people, and they said, oh, just go inside and you'll be fine. Like, oh my God, really? That's what you're telling people? Um, so that just freaked me out a little bit. And I, again, I don't think we're going to have a nuclear war. You know, let's hope not. But I thought it was just weird. And so there's a lot of strange stuff going on globally. Yes. And uh, you just got to pay attention. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on and we'll definitely get into that um, in a bit. Um, even um, Sri Lanka, I think, has a new head of state or prime minister or president. Yeah. I, I don't actually know who they have in Sri Lanka, um, but their World Economic Forum, um, which is very interesting. So we'll talk about that in a minute. And I really like, I like your train of thought um, and I like that you're um, open to discussing these things. It's really important because not enough people are. Um, but in terms of this recession right now, I'm yeah. really interested to know how we got here. There's a lot of people that I've been speaking to on my show who talk about, you know, the money printing and the lockdowns, but other people are saying we were actually on our way here and COVID and the lockdowns and the money printing was, uh, was, um, a way to prove was a way to, let's say, postpone the inevitable. What's your take? Look, it's, it's a, it's a longer conversation. And, and look, I, I, I tend toward, um, a belief that this has been going on for a long time, right? That this plan, and when I say this plan, meaning the plan of siphoning the wealth from the masses 
up to the few, right? The, the, the all seeing eye pyramid has been going on for millennia. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you can go all the way back to the 1600s with the first central bank, uh, the bank of, of, of the Netherlands founded by the Rothschild family. And then a hundred years later, the uh, offshoot of the Rothschilds go over to England, except the Bank of England, another central bank. And then a hundred years later, uh, this little colony breaks off. Uh, I, I, that's one of the things I love about traveling to, you know, Europe or the UK is, you know, I'm, I'm standing in Edinburgh in a building that's been standing yeah. since 1460. And I come back to a country that didn't even exist until 1776. And in 1913, we borrowed the model from the Bank of England and, and the Netherlands National Bank, uh, Central Bank, to basic, and we're in cahoots with the Rothschilds and uh, a bunch of other wealthy families uh, that create this entity that through this illusion of uh price stability, which is a euphemism for I steal your wealth through inflation, that we've created a system that has been systematically boiling the frog, right? You put the frog mm. in the pot and if you turn the heat up slowly, they don't even know they're getting cooked and then their muscles are paralyzed so they can't jump out. Where if it's really hot and you drop the frog in, they jump right out. So we've been being cooked for a long time. And that question is, were we going down this path? Well, absolutely, we're going down the path. Now, what about recession? Well, look, we had a really nasty recession in 2008, a global financial crisis, in fact. And we pulled a playbook out of the 1930s called quantitative easing. You know, QE was not invented in 2008, 2009. The, the Japanese have been doing QE, they call it QQE, for 30 years. And they're copying the U.S. Central Bank from the 1930s following the, the uh, collapse of the stock market. And so why did we do QE back in the 1930s? Well, the United States was a banana republic, right? It was an emerging market run by gangs. Right? Have you ever seen the movie Gangs in New York? Right? It was not a really fun place to live in the late 1860s. And, you know, in 1929, we went to one gang, right? Mm -hmm. 1929, the... Italian gang killed off the Irish gang and there was no more Italian Irish. It was just the Italians and the mob ran the country for, and maybe some would argue still is running the country. And the, the interesting thing about it was we had this collapse and the rest of the world looked at America and said, wait a second, uh, you're an emerging market. You're run by a gang. You're not really that structurally sound. I'm not buying your debt out. So who bought the debt? Central bank. So the central bank bought their own debt, created this thing called QE, cut interest rates to zero. And we had this zero interest rate policy up until 1937. And in 1937, we tried to raise interest rates from zero uh, only by 25 basis points. And we prolonged you know, the depression and made, made things even uglier up until mm -hmm. we had to go to war to fix it, which is how you fix economic, you know, um, declines as you go to war. Think about it. Like Afghanistan. Afghanistan has been occupied either by us or by Russia for a better part of a century. Why? Well, when you drop bombs in the middle of a desert or provide arms to combatants, that's good for GDP. Why well, was the that's first crazy. thing the first thing Trump did when he took office? Literally the first thing. I think it was in the first week. He sent 200 Tomahawk missiles into the middle of Syria. And remember the thing is, he didn't hit anything. He wasn't trying to hit anything. He was just trying to send, you know, a bunch of money to campaign contributors that, uh, you know, defense contractors. And so anytime you get really, really ugly, you're going to go to war. So shockingly, there's a conflict now, mm -hmm. shockingly, because we were headed to your point on this path toward, toward recession. But this is a long winding tale of in 2009, we restarted QE. And we basically erased the economic cycle. So from 2009 to today, we haven't had a recession, right? Why? We should have. We should have had multiple recessions, right? In 2015, 16, oil prices collapsed. Mm -hmm. Definitely were near a recession. 
but they bailed it out through QE2 and then ultimately QE3. And now what I'll call, you know, ultimately we'll have QE forever. And Japan restarted QQE. They told us they would never buy any more Japanese government bonds in 2007. Now they're buying so many government bonds that their currency is just being destroyed. And everybody's like, oh, the dollar's so strong. No, it's not. It's less weak than the yen, which is down, you know, almost 30% in the last two years, and the euro, which is down 20% over the same period. So the dollar looks strong by comparison, but the dollar relative to the renminbi is actually down. So there's a whole bunch of realignment that's going on. And now I'll go real deep into what people don't really want to talk about, which is mm -hmm. you ask the question, were we headed toward recession? Absolutely. Pre-COVID, things were slowing down. I will argue that weaponizing the flu, which is all it was, right? It was a flu virus. It was predicted in 2017 that we would have a flu virus, that it would start, it would be a pandemic, that it would start in late 2019, early 2020 because of decreased solar activity. People are like, Mark, what the hell are you talking about? If you think about how a virus is created, right? It actually comes down from the atmosphere mm -hmm. and the solar radiation kills most of them. But when there's, and solar radiation has peaks and troughs, right? Sunspots and solar flares and all that. Activity. And has, and in 1360, we had the maximum low in solar activity and we had the plague. Now there are mm. other reasons why the plague existed and why Edinburgh lost a million people and there's these mass graves, but it really started because the, the virus didn't get killed and then it propagated and got spread through fleas and, and rats. But this virus was predicted. And here's the funny part. It was predicted to emanate in the mountainous regions of China. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, that's where the ozone layer is the thinnest and the stuff falls through and didn't get killed. So we have this virus and it's a flu virus, right? And it mutates just like a flu virus. But what do we do? China, this is interesting, China exported propaganda and fear. Remember the original video of the guy yeah. falling over dead in the parking lot? But he put his yeah. hands out. Dead people don't break their fall, right? And then there was the one where they were spraying these people and catching them with butterfly nets. And you look around and it's a movie set. I mean, it's literally a movie set with actors. And, you know, then they funded the Imperial College study that predicted that 2 million people were going to die in the United States. So one would argue that maybe... There was a reason behind that. Well, why, why would anyone want to slow economic activity? Why would anybody want to break the supply chain? Well, look, if you were trying to create an alliance that goes from Southeast Asia all through China and India and Africa up into Europe and basically create another system that rather than the US dominated petrodollar system, maybe you would want to break things and make people more dependent on you, one theory. And so now what we've seen is US sanctions Russia. What does Russia do? Well, the ruble actually strengthens and people start buying oil from Russia in rubles or renminbi or in rupee, in, in, rupee, in, India, rupee in India and rupee in Indonesia. So why is that happening? Well, there's an alliance forming on that side of the world that if you intentionally slow, you can gain market share if you have liquidity. So who bought all the ports in Africa? I mean, and, you know, China. Who bought all the ports in Greece? China. Who is bailing out Russia? China. And so that's an interesting dilemma that now we're faced, right, as the superpower. Mm -hmm. And China's plan is to become the superpower, which I believe it is by 2050. That's their stated goal. Then maybe this breaking of the supply chain, maybe it wasn't accidental. And maybe these government policies to lock down, which are going to mm -hmm. turn out to be the dumbest policies in the history of policymaking, literally, right. to destroy economies. I don't know. It's, it's, it's all a very interesting dilemma. So to answer your question, Leah, were we headed for a recession? Sure. Is it made, was it made worse by the policies? Absolutely. 
But here's the real problem. Is everyone's talking about inflation. Mm-hmm. There's not inflation. Inflation is caused by excess demand relative to supply. Right. That's not what we have. What we have is currency debasement. In response to the lockdowns, the central banks, US, Europe, Japanese, printed gazillions, technical term, of currency. Here's a crazy stat. The United States has been a republic for 256 years. In the last 24 months, the Fed printed half of all the dollars that have ever existed. And why is it even called the dollars? Anyone know that? It's because the dollar from the Netherlands, Rothschilds, we took the same word and called it dollars. So we printed half of all the dollars. So everybody says, well, Bitcoin's not a good inflation hedge. Really? Over the last 24 months, Bitcoin's up almost precisely 100%. Hmm. If you printed half the dollars, one divided by 0.5 is two. That's a perfect hedge against currency debasement. So it's not inflation. It's not demand pull inflation. And all the CPI number that we're talking about is simply oil prices. Oil prices went from $40 post lockdown, because again, the lockdown policies were stupid. Mm -hmm. They crashed the price of oil. So oil prices go from 40 to 100. And that's now in the CPI. But mark my words, oil prices will be much lower right before the U.S. election this year because presidents don't get elected if gas prices are high. And the Democrats are in big trouble anyway. But if they don't do something at gas pump, they have no chance. And so gas prices will be low. And that's why he's over begging the Saudis to, to pump more oil. Yeah. And so all of it's interconnected. And the last piece of that CPI number increase was used car prices. Well, why did used car prices go up? Well, because new cars couldn't be created because you couldn't get chips. Mm. Why can't you get chips? Hmm. Ten years ago, the United States and China had to make a decision. What do you want to be awesome at? The United States said, we're going to be awesome at social media. And we rock at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We are so good at that. What did China decide? We're gonna be good at AI and 5G. Hmm, AI and 5G requires lots of chips, lots of silicon. Hmm, all the chips are made in Taiwan. Mm. China considers Taiwan, China. In fact, I have a table and in, in our, we have Brazil, Russia, India, China, boardroom tables and or conference room tables and uh, long story short, I actually had them made in China. And there's two funny things. One, in the uh, boardroom, we have a big board table with a map of the world, and there's no UK, which was clearly intentional, right? They don't like the UK because of the Hong yeah. Kong. And then the China room, Taiwan is clearly part of China. So if you wanted to hoard chips to build out your AI and 5G infrastructure, and become dominant in those areas and have Huawei be the, the technical standard, you would create a chip shortage in the rest of the world. And then as that gets fixed, used car prices will bait, which they have, they're down 30%. And so that CPI goes away. It is transitory. Mm -hmm. and But the money supply doesn't go away. And that's why the Fed is trying, and then the ECB this morning is trying to raise rates. But here's the thing. Raising rates won't fix the problem. They already printed the money. The money already exists. It's already debasing the currency. But that's the plan. Because by debasing the currency, you have a chance to devalue the debt because there's just too much debt in the US, Europe, and Japan. So way longer answer than you wanted. But, you know, no, it's good. It's good. You touched on many things, which we'll get into. Um... I want to just I want to talk about um, the uh, currency debasement um, because you, you you know you you mentioned yep. it's done to reduce the debt. So I want to understand to what extent do you think this is a destruction by design? Is it uh, to what extent is there manipulation? Um, you know you mentioned the Rothschilds. You know what to what extent are we trying to are they trying to keep the rich rich and you know push everybody further down? Um, 100%. I mean, it, it's all that. And it's always been that. And and look, we have the highest wealth and income inequality in the history of the republic in the United States. 
no different in Europe, no different in, in Japan. The rich are super rich and doing fine. The top 1% are great. The top 0.1% are even better. And it's because they own all the assets. Think about it. The dictator playbook, right? This is dictator 101. What do you do? You get in power. How do you get in power? No, you take it. A coup, whatever. But you, you get in power. Then what do you do? You put all your cronies at the top. And then you devalue the currency. Because what does that do? Well, it makes the asset values rise. Well, the average person, the average poor person doesn't own any assets, right? 49% of people in the United States don't own one stock, not one share of stock. They don't have a pension plan. They don't have a 401k. They don't own stock at Robinhood. Maybe that's changed a little bit, but it used to be 49% not that long ago. They just don't, they don't, they don't own their house. They rent. They barely own, they don't even own their car because they have an eight-year mortgage on it or a loan on it. So they don't own that either. It's like rent. And so they don't own anything. And that shuffles all the wealth to the top. Here's a question. What's the best performing stock market the last three years? Venezuela. How many Venezuelan stocks do you own? None. How about, nobody wants to own them because in any other currency other than Bolivar's, it's been horrible, down 99.999%. But if you own those assets in Bolivar's, whew. And so here's the funny thing. U.S. equities before the recent downturn were all-time highs, right? Huh. That's in dollars. If you denominate in gold, they're dead flat since 1996. If you denominate it in Bitcoin, now you don't want to do that because they're down a lot, like, like a ton. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that everything in the world has to be priced relative to something else, right? The euro, right? The euro... One euro is one euro, but we don't talk about euro. We talk about euro yen or euro dollar or euro, you know, Bitcoin. Same thing with Bitcoin. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, but we never talk about it in Bitcoin terms. We talk about it in currency terms. In Venezuela, there's never been a bear market in Bitcoin. Not ever. In Turkey, never been a bear market in Bitcoin. In Argentina, never been a bear market in Bitcoin because you're pricing in a toilet paper currency. And remember that dictator playbook is to turn your currency into toilet paper. So your assets go up in value and you become richer and richer. So back mm -hmm. to the point in the United States, what's going on? Well, the Rothschilds and the other banking cabal create this entity, the Fed, that can create money out of thin air. Now, look, if creating wealth and prosperity was as simple as printing money, wouldn't everyone just do that? Yes, of course they would. But what happens when you just print money? I mean, you can't see it, but over on my desk over there, I have a 100 trillion Zimbabwe dollar bill. Okay. 100 trillion Zimbabwe dollars would not buy a loaf of bread. But I'm a 100 trillionaire by, by holding that, but it wouldn't buy a loaf of bread because they devalued the currency. Well, why do countries devalue currencies? And this has been going on forever. Look, in the history of the world, there have been 775 paper currencies. Three quarters of them no longer exist. Hmm. They went to zero. The oldest is the pound sterling. And, you know, 384 years ago, one pound note got you one pound of sterling silver. Today, it would take you 174 pounds of sterling silver. So that's devaluation. Well, why do countries devalue their currency? Well, countries are run by politicians. Politicians like to get rich. How do they get rich? They spend into things that they own. Crazy stat. The United States just sent $40 billion to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It didn't go to Ukraine. I mean, it did, kind of. But it went to companies selling arms to Ukraine. And if you look at the ownership of those companies, it's politicians. Mm. It's like when... When Donald Rumsfeld was secretary of uh, whatever he was, defense, and uh, remember the, the scare on um, anthrax? And there was this drug that everybody had to stock up on, and, and they picked one. What'd they pick? Cipro, which was manufactured by the company that he was the chairman of. Yeah. When Iraq got rebuilt, who got the job? Halliburton, which Dick Cheney was the chairman of. Oh, but it was in a blind trust. But then when he left office, he got all that money. Or how about this one recently, just the other day, this family 
donates $300,000, which is not even that much money. Not okay, That's a lot of money to the average person, <laughs> but it's not a ton of money in the big picture, $300,000 mm-hmm. to the governor of New York. And during the, the uh, emergency powers, she gave their company a contract, a no bid contract for $467 million. Wow. So 100%. All of this is about payment for order flow, so to speak. And ultimately, in to do that, you create debt. Because here's the thing about money. There's only one money in the world, mm-hmm. gold. And it's been money for 5,000 years. Now, what is money? Money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. The only mm-hmm. thing that achieves that is gold. Now, now Bitcoin too, and Bitcoin is digital gold, but everything else has a liability associated. It's a currency. Dollars are currency. Yen are currency. The euro is currency, but they're backed by debt, government debt. But here's the problem. When you get so far in debt that you can't pay it back. Well, I mean, there are only four things you can do with debt. You can pay it back. Look, even if you tax the wealth of every citizen in the United States, the wealth, not the income, the wealth. You could not pay back the debt. Mm-hmm. So you can't pay it back. Then you could restructure it. But the problem is someone has to take the other side. And the Chinese and the Japanese have already said, look, we're not even going to buy anymore, let alone yeah. we're not going to take 70 cents on the dollar. Forget that. You can default on it. Oh, no, no, no. What happens when you default? You get kicked out, right? And politicians don't like to get kicked out. They stay in. So what do you do? You devalue it. You debauch your currency. And that has been the history of mankind for thousands mm-hmm. of years. Now, you say, but, but Mark, mankind's pretty good. Life is pretty good. Yes, we do recover. We start new currencies. We start new. Now, I was um, in the Tower of London, right? In the Tower of London. And I actually took a picture of the yeah. original mint. It was literally one coin at a time. And it had this hand thing that you turned and you stamped the coins with a picture of, I think it was um, King Edward II. I think it was Edward II. That was the mint. That's how they made money. Now, those coins are all gone. Yeah. And there's a new monetary system that took over. And now you got pictures of Queen Elizabeth on, on, the, on the, uh, the note. Um, but my point is that money eventually goes away. And new or currency, currency eventually goes away and new currency is created by whoever's in power, right? The king put his face on coins and gave them to the realm. But then, you know, in the Roman times, the reason Roman empire fell is people would cut the coins. They'd literally trim off the edge. That's why your quarter has little ridges on it. So you can see if somebody cut the edge of the, the quarter off and now they're not pure silver, so they're not really worth anything, but you melt them. <laughs> Like nickel, right? It's worth six and a half cents. So you should melt them down, but that's a federal offense. So don't do that. Um, anyway, again, I probably no, didn't answer your question, but we had some fun no, talking about it. Yeah, no, 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 it's good. I think um, I'd be interested to know, how do you, um, you talk a lot about, um, yeah, so I guess in some ways it's destruction by design in order to pay back the debt. Um, you know, you've been very vocal um, about the lockdowns over the last two years. Um, and, you know- The only person so- better than me is Zuby. I mean, Zuby is just the best. And if you don't follow him, follow him. And not that he needs any more followers, but the guy speaks truth and I yeah. love it. And um, I get to have lunch with him. Uh, that's one thing I love about Twitter. I mean, we met on Twitter and he and I met on Twitter. And so he came to North Carolina and I said, hey, I'll meet you for, for lunch out by the airport before you leave. And, and we did. And it was, it was great. But I think you have to speak out against stupid stuff. Right. I mean, like, like I get in this debate with somebody because I, I was on record said, you know, I said, if, if COVID is a novel coronavirus, which is they claim, there will not be a vaccine. But it's like, oh, see, you're wrong. There is a vaccine. I said, well, wait a second. First of all, if it were a novel coronavirus, like MERS or SARS, it would not mutate because they don't mutate. So the Mm -hmm. fact that this one mutates means it's not a novel coronavirus. And oh, by the way, we don't actually have a vaccine. What we have is a novel therapeutic. A vaccine takes the virus, okay, kills it, 
injects it and creates a response to prevent you. And it has about a 20 to 40% efficacy, right? Flu vaccine, 20 to 40% efficacy because you can't anticipate the mutation. So now what we have is a thing they inject that tries to stimulate the same response using mRNA technology, but it's only about 9% effective. So it's even worse. Yeah. Well, of course it is because it's trying to mimic something that was only 20 to 40% effective anyway. And well, oh, well, it was never designed to be, you know, to prevent the virus. It was, it was designed to stop you from getting sick. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure you told me that it had a hundred percent efficacy. Like there's all kinds of videos all over, right? Yeah, People no, saying hundred percent efficacy. No, nine ish. And now we're finding that, well, wait a second. If I turn on my body to produce stuff, to fight against something, which I may not get, because there's about half the population that despite all the nonsense has never gotten it. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I don't think I've ever had it. Exactly. My son, had it. our whole family had it. I had it. My mm -hmm. wife had it. My mom had it. My dad had it. My son had it. My daughter had it. But my youngest, he was in the house with us. Yeah. Didn't have it. And the doctor's like, oh, he definitely probably had it. So my wife's like, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to get him tested. Had the antigen test? Nope. Never had it. And then everyone in school, right? So he and I, not vaccinated, whatever, you know, judge us. Um, no judgment there. <laughs> and uh, not you, but other people watching yeah. would judge. Um, all his friends in school, vaccinated. They all got it. He's at school with them. Yeah. And never got it. So there are just certain people that aren't going to get it. So if you put something, a biological agent into that person and there's nothing to fight, what does it do? I don't think we know. And so I, I you know, there's all the adverse outcome stuff. And so um, lockdowns were dumb. Yeah. Right? We've been dealing with viruses for thousands of years, locking down economies in response to a respiratory virus that is Definitely the flu. Like I, I love, I love the picture where they show seasonal flu, seasonal flu, seasonal flu. Oh, yeah, no then flu it... for two years, <laughs> but big COVID. Like because it's the flu, and now we're on the fifth variant. Which, by the way, if you get the flu this year, it's possible it's the nineteen, you know, seventeen Spanish. Right. Right. Okay. You know, hundred variations later. Yes, that's possible, but it'd be like a common cold. Um, and that's what, you know, we got now is people do get COVID via BA5 or whatever, and you get sniffles. So I just, I, think I guess look, I'm just, I'm just interested to know how you're um, comfortable speaking out about these different things, because they are all very intertwined. Um, you know, whether it's um, currency debasement, whether it's COVID, I do think that they are very intertwined because ultimately it's a power grab at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how do you feel comfortable, um, you know, as a founder of a company, as, you know, a public face? Um, I probably how you shouldn't, right? But No, you should. Look, you should. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I learned a long time ago from a friend who was in, you know, uh, a lawyer that there's something called truth is an mm. absolute defense. Right. So if you get sued for libel or slander, if you say something that's true. Right. If I said you are five foot six and I don't know how tall you are, but if I said you are five foot six and you say I am, I am five foot nine and that is slanderous. And it turns out they measure you and you're five foot six. I win you're protected because truth is an absolute defense. I mean, and yes. no, now I can't say that person's stupid. Well, I could say that. Um, but I'd be at risk because that's harder to measure. But, but if you say something that's true, it's an absolute defense. So I always believe if, if you speak truth, and that's what, again, thing, one of the things I admire about Zuby. And, you know, to me, it is true that this virus is not a normal NCOV like MERS and SARS which flamed once and went away and we never hear them again, right? We haven't had a case of MERS in 13 years. I think that's truth, right? Someone could argue with me and say, no, 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 you're wrong. Like, oh, okay, but it seems different. 
And it seems true that a flu virus mutates and gets weaker, but more infectious because it tries to survive. That's how viruses work. Yes. It appears that that's a true statement, that if this thing keeps mutating and becoming more viral, but less efficacious or uh, severe, um, whatever the word is, um, that, that that's true. So I, I don't mind saying it. And on, on, on printing money, right? I think it's, in, it's incontrovertible to me mm -hmm. to say, if you double the money supply, the value of the money will shrink, mm -hmm. right? That's just math. That, that's a true statement. Yeah. <laughs> and people can say, well, no, uh, you know, inflation wasn't caused by money printing. Okay, but based on what? Well, inflation is, is caused by, by Putin. Like, what are you talking about? Oil prices went up way before Putin invade. In fact, I think today oil prices are lower than when Putin invaded. I think that's true. Okay. It's, it's within a couple bucks. So it ain't about Putin. It's about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, in the middle of the lockdowns, bought up all the storage in Houston and flooded the market. Remember, we went to negative oil prices only yeah. for a couple of days in April of, of 2020. That had nothing to do with Putin. That actually had nothing no. to do with money printing. That had to do with an opportunistic entity with lots of liquidity, pun intended, flooding the market. And then what did they do? They went out and bought stakes and Shell and BP and, and other companies that were down 80%. They bought a piece of a cruise line. I would argue that's market manipulation. Now, it's not mm -hmm. illegal. I guess, because it's not insider trading, but it's clearly manipulation of the market. To me, it's no different than spoofing gold and JP Morgan just had to pay $962 million for that. But if you're part of the cabal and you're part of the power structure, then, then you, you can do that stuff. But how, how do I, you know, why would I speak out? Why would, and it's funny, I, I tell a story that, that my wife's only seen me speak one time and she came to Vegas for some conference and and at the end of the country, she says, you can't say things like that. I'm like, what I say? She says, no, you say things so forcefully. I'm like, well, what's yeah. wrong with that? She says, well, people will believe you. Well, that's the whole idea. And she says, well, what if you're wrong? I'm wrong all the time. I just changed my mind. And it's like Lord Keynes, right? Speaking in London, right? Turn of the century, gave a speech. Three weeks later, gave a similar speech, changed something. Guy in the front row says, sir, I was at your speech three weeks ago, and you said the exact opposite. And he said, well, sir? When the facts change, I, I change my mind. What do you do? Mm. And so I, I don't view myself as, as an influencer. I don't view myself as, as really even that popular. Mm. So I'm not afraid of speaking out. Now someone said, but, but what happens if, you know, somebody knocks on your door? I, I don't know. Then I'll deal with it. But I, I, the way I judge it is, Social media will censor you if you say something that's yeah. too far out of bounds. So far, I haven't been throttled, right? You know, big ego trip. If you're so important, you get throttled or you get, you know, deplatformed. So none of that's happened to me. And I said, I wish I had the courage of someone like Azubi uh, mm -hmm. or this Dr. Cheng Chengzi or whatever his name is, um, who says way more stuff than I do. And I take most of my, my stuff from him that, look, I'm not a scientist. And people say, well, why do you comment on stuff if you're not a scientist? I'm talking about logic. I'm not talking about science. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the logic of if, if somebody gets a virus and the body generates the antibodies to ward it off, they now have natural immunity. Yeah. And proven for thousands of years. And for some reason, that class of human being is a second class citizen everywhere in the world. Now, thankfully, on my trip to the UK, I didn't have to prove vaccination because I wouldn't have passed. Pretty good then. I didn't have to take a test, which is good, normal. And I traveled all over the UK. I didn't infect anybody. Because here's the funny thing. If I don't have the virus, there you go. I can't infect you. It's just funny how that works. And yet there's this presumption. It's I use I when it, when it first broke, I talked about in the world, we're supposed to presume innocence. Yeah. Proven guilty, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. And that's the way the legal system is set up. Yet on social media, you are guilty 
And then you're just guilty. Even if you're proven innocent, you're guilty because now everyone saw that you're guilty. That's a weird world. And the same thing here, right? You should be healthy until proven sick. Like when Hong Kong installed the big temperature sensors after uh, SARS, everybody's all up in arms and that's my right. I'm like, nope, you come in, you got a fever, go quarantine. Because quarantine, the term, right? Invented in uh, Venice, Italy, right? In the 1500s means take the sick person, move them in isolation for 40 days. Quarantine. That's what it comes mm-hmm. from. And so if, you're, if you want to take my temperature before I come in a building, I got no problem with that. Okay. Because that, that means that I have some illness. Might not be the illness you think, but I have some illness. But don't make me take a test for something I have no symptoms of or, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just silly. Uh, now, if it goes to the fact that people make a lot of money selling tests, and here's a crazy yeah. thing, and I don't, I haven't been able to verify this, Leah, but I heard, and, and again, it's so hard to trust anything, but I did hear from multiple places that the patent on the PCR test is owned by a Rothschild. Oh, really? I can't prove that, and I don't I know if it's true, anyway. and, and but it's an interesting factoid. And if it were true, yeah. it would corroborate a lot of the other stuff we've been talking about. You you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, um, we were sort of talking about um, uh, different leaders who are put into position of powers. Um, and given everything we've discussed about the last two years and the vaccines and the lockdowns, um, I want to get your take on... Um, on the World Economic Forum um, and Klaus Schwab um, and also where Bitcoin comes into it because there's this huge ESG narrative right now. And I saw um, I saw one of those um, spy cameras where they're speaking undercover and somebody was talking about, you know, how the goal was to get Trump out. And then the goal was to uh, implement fear around um, the pandemic. And now the goal is climate change. Um, so, of course, there's this aggression towards Bitcoin and energy and everything like that. Um, so what's your take on Klaus Schwab and why is there such um, a, uh, an ESG narrative push right now? So a couple things are interesting. And again, this is just facts and we can debate whether they have any meaning or not, but the World Economic Forum uh, was incorporated. Uh, I think I'm going to get this date right. Um, I can have a look while you speak. In 1974 by a young man named Klaus Schwab. Now, what else happened in 1974? Hmm. We went off the gold standard in the United States and went to a fiat standard. And there was the beginnings of this group meeting every year to get together mm-hmm. and talk about policy and, and big picture stuff. And little companies over the next few years, like Microsoft were formed and, you know, Microsoft was not the best operating system, not even close, right? CPM was far better technology, but Microsoft became ubiquitous and Bill Gates became very wealthy. And um, so it was a whole bunch of interesting little little factoids. Um, you know, still one of my favorites is, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, she, they are birthday four, five, 75, right. Four, five, mm-hmm. uh, 1933, the day that gold was made illegal in the United States, 1975, the year when it was finally made legal again, um, as a citizen to own it. Uh, the other funny thing I saw as somebody's daughter, um, said, and it's actually executive order, uh, 6102. And so she said, well, I now I know why there's 21 million Bitcoin <laughs> because 21 with six zeros is 6102. Oh my God, that's really awesome. And that was probably bunk, but I thought that was really cool. No, I like so, it. So look, WEF is really kind of a weird thing in that what actually is it? And there's all kinds of strange stuff. Like they have this global leaders initiative where they train young people. Yeah. And Klaus is even recorded, right? Saying we want yes. to put these people in positions of power around the world. And, and we got Australia and we got New Zealand and we got France and we got Canada. Canada. And then you look at the craziest extremes of this whole lockdown nonsense. And look, Malthus 
was wrong in the 1600s when he came up with this theory that the world would run out of food and we needed to depopulate and and you know Malthusianism was a thing in the UK and and the elites it was all about well we need to survive you know because we're the smart ones but the rest of y'all we, we we could we could euthanize you and get rid of some and I mean it was crazy stuff like like super crazy stuff and they were wrong right mm-hmm. and Bill Gates talks about it and he's wrong again we're not going to run out of food here's a crazy thing in the United States our population spends 20 billion dollars a year on weight loss. Oh, wow. And tens of millions of children go to bed hungry every night. It's not because we don't have calories. We clearly have enough calories because people are paying money to lose calories. Yeah. We have plenty of calories. And people say, well, what about all the famine? We have plenty of calories. What we don't have is the infrastructure and the commitment by leaders to get the food to the people. And, and so it's just a weird dynamic mm-hmm. that we say, well, we're going to run out of food. Okay. Well, that's probably not true. Well, climate's going to change and we need, we need to fight climate change. Well, what is, what does that really mean? Well, what it means is we're going to fund certain types of projects, ones that we happen to own pieces of like wind mm-hmm. and solar and, and alternative energy. And we're going to defund other things. Well, if you look at the lobbying, okay, the amount of money that's spent by people in, the, like say, the electric vehicles business versus the traditional vehicles business, it might be that Elon's writing bigger checks, and you know, it could be an interesting correlation there. Or, you know, Warren Buffett writes bigger checks that he's on the other side. He's trying to keep oil in business by having to go on his tanker cars, so there's no pipeline. Um, so people can control governments with with cash, but I think the, the the climate thing is is weird to me because climate is a thousand year trend ish. They used to grow oranges in France, not grapes, right? Twenty six hundred years ago, the jet stream okay. went a certain way, and it was much warmer there. And then the jet stream shifted. Now we grow oranges in Florida and, and grapes in France. And everyone's like, well, you know, ice caps are melting. I haven't seen a story on that in the last two years. Why is that? Why is that? Well, because the ice caps are actually increasing again. Well, why? Solar activity. Back, everything goes back to solar activity, right? Everything on the right. planet is driven by the sun. And people mm-hmm. are like, what are you talking about? Like, think about it. Everything we do is about energy. The sun, without the sun, there is no planet. There, is no, there are no people. There is no nothing. Okay? The mm-hmm. sun is, is the key. And the sun has these, these movements. And so if you go back in history, we have periods of time where there's high levels of solar activity and you have warming. And you have periods of low solar activity and you have cooling. 2019 was the peak of solar activity, the crescendo of, oh my God, the, the planet's warming. Now for the last two years, if you look at solar activity, it's declining again. And average temperatures are declining, not the heat, you know, the heat. People say, well, well, the, the, the big heat waves are, are climate change, right? Yes. No, no. Do we have more or less hurricanes last year than average? Less. How about the year before that? Less. How about the year before that? More. Oh, well, wait, more solar activity, more heat fluctuation, more hurricanes. Then we have a year with less hurricanes. Oh, well, that's, that's climate change too. Like, why is that climate change too? I was, at a con- I was at a conference three years ago and the guy got up and said he had done this study funded by somebody and he spent yeah. millions of dollars to prove that within six years, Florida would be underwater Yes, and therefore the insurance industry was going to go bust and everyone should short insurance companies. Now we're three years, we're halfway there. Florida is not underwater. Those insurance stocks are up a lot. So if you took his advice, you lost a lot of money and look, extremism sells and fear sells. There's this guy, Michael Moore, and I'm not a big Michael Moore fan. I don't, you know, don't appreciate his, I mean, he's, he's, he's an interesting filmmaker. 
Right. And if you've ever watched the movie, which no one really watched, but there's this f- f- uh, movie, Michael and Me or something. It's basically about the story of GM. I think it's GM. Okay. Um, and there's a, there's a clip it. I mean, it's only like, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes in that movie about the history of fear. The, the U.S. through the CIA, et cetera, manufactures fear. And it went through all the coups from Nicaragua to, you know, the Balkans to, and why? I mean, they said, because fear causes people to consume. And if you don't make anything, right? From 1860 to 1940s, the United States was the manufacturing engine of the world. Since then, we become the consuming. We don't make anything. We make Mm -hmm. oil and we make some cars. That's it. And it was great. You know, Biden said the other day, you know, we are the manufacturing engine in the world, not China. <laughs> like on what planet? Yeah. I mean, it's just not even close. I mean, and, and China's going through the same thing, right? For 20 years, they were the manufacturing hub, but now they're transitioning to a consumption hub and that's their plan. They want to become mm-hmm. a consumer led economy. So they're spending money on consumer applications, on technology and places like Vietnam and Myanmar and others will become the manufacturing of Sri Lanka. And all this is part and parcel of, of the plan. But if you're a manufacturer, I mean, if you're a, if you're a consumer economy, then fear is what you want. And so you always have to have an enemy and you always Mm -hmm. have to have a conflict. And if you manufacture very few things, you do manufacture missiles and aircraft carriers and defense stuff, Having conflict in places is very profitable and you create GDP that way. And so I, I think there's this, this narrative around climate and ESG that is perpetuated because mm-hmm. it's, it's profitable, right? Yeah. It's just, like, it's just like vaccines. Vaccines are very profitable, right? But what Pfizer made more money on vaccines last year than the previous, I don't know, it was five years, six years of, of profits. I mean, okay. Yeah. I'm- Very profitable. And guess who was the number one lobbyist in the country the year before? Sure. Surprise me. And well, you know, the crazier one, this, this one's crazy, crazy. Do, do, does anyone remember the CEO of Moderna? I knew, I knew you were going to say Moderna next. On Friday. On Friday, a couple of years ago, yeah, at the White House, being announced by Trump as the COVID czar. Now, a couple of months before it came out, he had made a big donation to the Trump re-election campaign. The next Monday, that same guy is back in the Rose Garden announcing how they've been selected to be the preferred vaccination for the vaccine program. It's ridiculous. I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. And now we find out that he cashed out a billion dollars of stock personally. So I don't know, maybe that's graph and corruption a little bit. And, And maybe it's all about money. So I think you follow the money. So if, if you think about where is uh, a lot of lobbying being done is being done by solar companies and wind companies and, and alternative battery companies, or is it being done by fossil fuel companies? And look, I, I, there was this great commercial and I, I can't remember which company it was. It was one of the, might've been Halliburton or Schlumberger. And it showed two, a guy, a guy and a gal getting ready for a date. And, you know, they go back and forth between her apartment, his apartment and, and as the commercial goes on, they start eliminating things mm-hmm. made with petroleum. So mm-hmm. she's putting on her lipstick and suddenly it vanishes. And he's putting on his uh, shoes and the shoelaces disappear. And he goes out to his car and starts to drive and the tires vanish. And they get to the restaurant and they go to dip into the food and the food goes away. Because mm-hmm. right? it was delivered on a truck. People forget how important fossil fuels are and that they're going to be here for a long time unless we want to give up plastic and 
you know, most of like fertilizers. Of course, now I saw this. This is crazy. And this goes to the food problem. Um, there's a rule. I can't remember if it's the UK or Europe. They're trying to create a rule that farmers have to be organic and they can't use man-made fertilizers. Interesting. On what, what planet would that, that yeah. would reduce the food supply and cause even greater strain on the system? And who benefits for that? Well, somebody making alternative, you know, fertilizers as yes. opposed to chemical fertilizers. Um, so let's follow that money trail and see where it goes. So fear sells. Fear is what WEF has been doing well since they were incorporated in 1974. Yeah. It's, it's unlikely that the deal we cut with Saudi, the incorporation of WEF, the fact that they happened in the same year, the fact that we went off the gold standard, all that yeah. happening in the same year, it's illogical that it's not connected. Again, I don't have any knowledge or proof, but it's interesting. You just look at the data, look at the facts. Um, one final question for you. Um, we've spoken a lot about, um, you know, manipulation, fiat currencies. Um, how long does the US dollar have left? Great. Great question. So people are so tired of me talking about this because I, I don't want to hear about the Portuguese ships one more time. Like, well, but it's, <laughs> it's important, right? The world reserve currency has been held by the country with the strongest Navy for the better part of, you know, 700 years. And first it was the Portuguese because they had the tallest trees, therefore tallest mast, fastest ships. Spain takes them over. Then they become a superpower. They become the world reserve currency. Then France takes them over. They get the trees. Then the Netherlands financed in the 1600s by the Rothschilds and the central bank take them over. And then the Rothschild clan goes over the UK. They invent the steamship. They become, and remember for 80 years, the sun never set on the British empire it was the most powerful super currency. I mean, it was the world reserve currency, most powerful superpower. And then in 1913, they invaded Mesopotamia, incurred a bunch of debt. The pound sterling collapsed. The dollar ascended. It took 31 years to finally get the agreement at Bretton Woods to make the dollar the world reserve currency. But now the dollar, because they had nuclear ships instead of steamships, and we have the most powerful Navy. Well, here's the thing. The Chinese renminbi will be, I believe, the next world reserve currency. Why? Because the Chinese figured out 10 years ago that the next war is going to be fought with ships be fought with chips. It's going to be cyber. And so they are creating the most powerful AI, 5G, chip manufacturing, all of that. And they have this plan to get more and more uh, things done in renminbi. So up until a couple of years ago, 60% of world transactions were denominated in dollars yet only 8% of global trade was with the US. Well, why is that? Well, because they cut a deal in 74 with Saudi to say, look, if you price oil transactions in dollars, we'll protect you at any cost, right? You can blow up our buildings, whatever, we'll still protect you. Great. So, but why? Well, because if oil, which is the thing that drives the, the world, um, is priced in dollars, then everybody is dependent on us as the world reserve currency. Well, now the Chinese and the Russians have said, mm -mm, not so fast. And so here's a funny thing, Leah. If you challenged dollar hegemony any time in the past, you disappeared. Mm -hmm. Mark, what do you mean? Saddam Hussein says, I don't like paying in dollars. I want to pay in euros. Vanished. Gaddafi, I don't want to pay in dollars. I want to pay in gold. Vanished. Chinese and Russia. I don't want to pay in dollars. I want to pay in renminbi and rubles. Didn't vanish. Oh, they have nuclear weapons. Oh. Saddam didn't have nuclear weapons. They said he did, but he didn't. Gaddafi didn't have nuclear weapons. China, Russia, nuclear weapons. So you can't make them vanish. And so they actually can start pricing oil in their local currencies. So the renminbi four years ago got included in the uh, IMF SDR. So it is now a reserve currency. Okay. We're still the reserve currency, but it's a reserve currency. Now, increasingly, transactions are priced in renminbi, 
India just signed a big deal, Africa, bunch of big deals, Russia, big deal. So my guess is over the next, it won't take 31 years, but my guess is it takes 10 to 15. The renminbi will continue. Now they have to open up their current account and that that will, will be a big deal. But I think they will. And I think it's after they have their central bank digital currency in place so they can program the money. Topic for another day. But that's a long way of saying 10-ish years. It's not Bitcoin next. It's the renminbi next. Then ultimately, Bitcoin could. But here's the problem. The Bitcoin maxis have to stop with the Bitcoin is only good to put on a thumb drive and bear it in your backyard. That ain't it. It needs to be deposited. It needs to be lent. It needs to be borrowed. It needs to be spent. Mm -hmm. It needs to transact. It needs to be money. Okay. Mm -hmm. It can't just be this thing you bury in the backyard. We get gold for that. So let's, let's stop with the tribalism and let's go to a world where we build a better monetary system on the Bitcoin rail and get away from Fedwire and ACH and WEF and all, all that other stuff. Mark, you are one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. We have these conversations and I have all these questions written down and we get to the end of the conversation. I'm like, well, that's been answered. That's been answered and that's been answered. <laughs> um, but no, I, you're, you know so much and it's always a real pleasure speaking with you. I always learn so much. Um, so the renminbi basically is the next world reserve currency and then maybe Bitcoin after that. Um, yeah, that, that's my guess. But I mean, look, we don't know anything for sure. But here's the thing about investing. Yeah. If you aren't willing to have conviction and make a decision and act, you can't win. And so one of the challenges for investors is they're like, well, I don't know that that's going to happen. So I don't want to make a bet because I might be wrong. Yes. Winners are wrong more than losers. Because mm. winners are not afraid of being wrong. Winners make lots of decisions, make lots of investments, and some go wrong. And that's okay. But losers are so afraid of being wrong, they don't do anything and they never win. So be a winner, right? It's be okay. Just, just be a winner. Be a winner, take risk. Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's just been such a pleasure. It's been a while since we um, caught up um, and I'm always learning so much from you. So thank you so much for coming on. No, thanks for having me. Always great to talk to you. And uh, one of these days we'll, we'll do it live and uh, we'll have yes. a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to do it in person. Um, guys, I also want to thank you so much for um, tuning in. I can see in the comments that they really enjoyed um, everything you had to say. And I want to um, also uh, say, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the like button so you never miss um, a video. And we will see you all next week. Have a great day. The Leia Heilpan Show.